you're lost. And some of you may have lived some moments where you had faith alone, not placed anywhere. That just, just leaves you beat up. That just leaves you in a tough spot. Uh, some of us have lived with unplaced faith. Unplaced faith, where we just have random faith in everything. You just wake up and you say, I have faith for no reason at all, but I just have faith. It oozes out of me. It's not anchored to anything. It's not tethered to anything. It's just up in the air. And some of you have lived that way and thought that that was what Jesus is inviting you into. And I want to let you know, no, that's not it. That's not it. That unplaced faith actually reminds me of my first dog. You didn't know I had a dog, right? I've had two dogs in my life. Those two were enough. I never need another one. When I was like eight years old, my mom, we, us kids came home from school. I think I was eight, maybe 10. My mom said, so we got a call from your aunt that her neighbor has a dog and her neighbor's getting old and really cares about this dog and wants us to have this dog. I'm like, well, that sounds fantastic. We've never had a dog. And she said, it's a pure breed dog beautiful dog named Bozo. That should have been a sign. Now, I grew up in the city, and in the city, when your dog is about to expire, it goes to the farm, right? This dog was born on a farm, so I had no clue what was going on. This farm dog was coming to the city, this farm dog that apparently was purebred, whose name was Bozo. I searched the archives. There is no photo available of Bozo. But in my memory, Bozo looks like this. <laughs> Bozo was if like Splinter from Ninja Turtles and Exhaustion had a baby. That's what he looked like. I came home from school. We had one of those bi-level homes. I looked upstairs and I said, Mom, what is that? She said, that is Bozo. I was certain this was in every 80s horror movie. But that was my new dog. And what my dog lacked in looks, it made up for in faith in everything. Bozo loved everything and was certain that everything was on his side. And so Bozo would go in the freedom of our like little eight square foot backyard and run wild in that backyard, but it wasn't satisfying. And so Bozo looked to the right of our backyard, where there was another dog. To the right was a dog named Duffy. Now, for those of you who are dog fans, this is what Duffy actually looked like. Okay? Yeah, you think Duffy's cute. Duffy was not cute. Duffy was pretentious. Duffy was mean. Duffy had a British accent. Duffy thought that she was better than everyone. This is what my memory says that Duffy looked like. It was a snobby dog. And so Bozo, in all of his purebredness, would come to the fence with faith that Duffy was going to be Bozo's best friend. Duffy would be like, <laughs> every day. Bozo comes back to the chain link thing, because <laughs> that's what he sounded like. And Duffy would be there like, get away, farm dog. Kept coming to the fence. Backyard's lonely. Goes to the fence. There's Snobby Dog over there. And Bozo, you, you watched just life hit Bozo. 
just all of a sudden, Bozo was having emotions. His face got uglier. I don't know how it happened. He started to get sad, but he's got faith in everything. And so he goes to the other side of the yard, to the left side of the yard. Now, the left side of the yard, like on the right, there was a metal gate, metal fence, like metal fence. On the left side was the gate, the fence from Sandlot. You know, the giant one that keeps away the monsters. Well, there was a dog on the other side of that gate named Samson. For those of you who actually like dogs, this is what Samson actually looked like. Yeah, a wolf. He was giant. In my mind, every time I saw Samson, I felt like this. I'm not the wolf. I'm the other thing. Samson was terrifying. You heard him snarl through the wood fence. I think they fed him like, I don't know, steroids or something. Like he was a terrifying dog. But Bozo has faith in everything. And so we don't let Bozo go over there. He can't go through the fence. He can't go over the fence. So what's he do? Bozo gets his dumb butt under the fence. None of us know because he's in the backyard being awesome. All of a sudden, he goes under the fence, and you hear a war break out in the next yard. We go over there, and Samson looks like a bear with a salmon in his mouth. But the salmon is my Bozo. Yeah, it's sad, right? This is why I don't have dogs now. This is why I'm scarred. You're currently my therapy session. I owe all of you hundreds of dollars. So we, we remove Bozo from Samson's jaws, bring him to the doctor. They heal up his, all his bite marks on his back. And Bozo starts to make Eeyore look like he's optimistic. You know, he's like the saddest, most pathetic dog ever for like a minute. And then he goes back to having faith in everything. And he follows my mom in the front yard to the front of Samson's house where Samson decides to chew on the rest of him. Yeah, sad story. Doesn't get any better at any point. I'm just letting you know. Never gets better. Only gets worse, but we'll stop here. But here's the thing. Bozo was never the same. Like, not physically. Like, he's just so sad. Bozo just became a sad dog. Bozo started to feel how he looked. But yeah, I'm telling you. That was a flattering photo I put up. Bozo just became this sad, sad dog who had faith in nothing anymore. We would come near him, and he'd be like. <laughs> That's just what he sounded like. He just sat in the corner of the basement. The basement was unfinished, and he acted like he was not worthy to be on carpeting. He like just sat in the cement-cold corner, sad. I really think faith that is not placed in anything results in that. So Jesus talks about this life. We, when faith is not placed in anything, we're saying this, the world is just going to give us butterflies and rainbows, and Jesus talks about it in John, right? We know what he says. He says, in this world, uh, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He doesn't say place your faith in the world. He says, no, the world is going to be a little uppity towards you. Sometimes you're going to feel like a salmon in the mouth of this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And if you walked in here with tons of faith that wasn't placed in anything, let me tell you, I mean this kindly, but don't be a bozo. 
Don't be one. Don't be a bozo. Don't look like that. Don't be somebody who has your faith just in the world. I love the world. I love people. I believe there is good in every person because we are made in the image of God, but I don't believe that because my faith is not placed in anything. I believe that because my faith is placed in something. And when we live faith that is not placed in anything, we live like bozo. And I'm telling you, your faith will wear out. You will get so beat up and so spit up that there will be spit out that there will be nothing left of you. And so don't live with an unplaced faith. Okay, I don't have any more sad stories for you. Sean is back there like cringing. No more sad stories. It's not just unplaced faith. Don't live with misplaced faith. So, in Jesus' day, I don't know if anyone here can relate to this. In Jesus' day, people put their faith in the empire. They had their faith in the government, the government's people. Here's a, a situation where some people tried to trap Jesus on it in Mark 12. says, they sent to him some Pharisees and some Herodians to trap him in what he said. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are sincere and show deference to no one. And yet you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. They brought it to him, and then they said, whose head is on this and whose title? So the emperors. And Jesus said to them, give to the emperor the things that are the emperors, and give to God the things that are God's. Some of us just think like, oh, great, i got to pay taxes, and then we skip that whole section. This is really meaty stuff. So at the very beginning, there's this group called the Herodians. It only comes up twice in the Gospels, but it's a pretty big group at the time. The religious people, the Jewish people, who have their faith in Judaism, but they believe that Herod is the Messiah. And so they live out the practices of Judaism in total submission to Herod. And they also are a political group. And so anything that Herod says or does, they get behind because they want Herod's favor. And so these Herodians are people who, who live as Jews, but they have defined who their Messiah is. It's the emperor. It's the governor. It's the one in charge. And so the Pharisees bring the Herodians in to come and test Jesus on this because there's this other thing that we don't necessarily see. You see, there is what's called the imperial cult at the time. Judaism is going on, but... In the Roman Empire, there's the imperial cult, which says that the emperor is supreme. The emperor is above everybody else. And the thing about the imperial cult is the emperor sneaks into all local worship. And so if you're worshiping this god over here, well, it gets kind of mixed in with some emperor worship. And you worshiping Judaism over here gets kind of mixed in with some emperor worship. And as long as you worship the emperor, they were good with it. As long as you were good with the empire, they were good with it. And people didn't even really notice how much this snuck into every phase of religion. 
And so if you study before Judaism gets submitted to Roman culture, it looks vastly different. You look at Greek uh, gods and things like that before emperor worship starts, it looks vastly different. But all of a sudden, you've got to worship all these local deities plus the emperor. It's in everything. And then there's this name that we call Jesus. We know this, but Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, right? It's not like Matt Ness, and Ness is the last name. Christ is a title. It's a ruling title. It's a messianic title. What it actually means is that um, he is the one smeared with oil. That's what it means. So when someone said Jesus Christ, they were saying Jesus, the one who was smeared with oil, anointed to be God's Messiah, which is in direct opposition to the empire. It doesn't fit next to imperial, the imperial cult. Now, here, here's the thing. They bring a coin to him. Jesus says, can I see the coin? And, and, and right here, bring, uh, bring me a denarius and let me see it. Whose head is on it? Whose imprint? Whose image is on the coin? It's the emperor, right? But then God... Where is God's imprint? Where is God's image? If you don't know this, it's, it's you. You are his imprint. You are his image. And so Jesus looks at this coin, sees the emperor, and says, well, give the emperor what's his. He can have the coinage. And then give God what is God's. God can have his people. And it's this huge declaration of what, where our faith is to be. Now, in our times, I think this is really important, that we do not misplace our faith. So we're coming up to November 6th, right? Election day. Go vote. I'm going to be out of the country. I already voted. It's important. We need to vote. All of us need to vote. But here's what I don't want you to think. Don't place your faith there. You're placing your ballot there, not your faith. Those are two different things. Put your ballot. That's not your faith. Our faith doesn't go there. And when partisan politics starts to impact our worship, we should be alarmed. Just like when the emperor started to sneak into Judaism and Christianity and started to mix in and change the story, when partisan politics changes the gospel, we should be alarmed. We just should. Now, politics, the way of the city, justice, dignity of people, the church should speak up. And we will speak. We have spoke up. We will speak up. When it's issues that affect people and the dignity of people and the imprint and the image of God on people, we will speak up all day. But we're not believing in a person or a party. That's not where our faith goes. I'm guaranteed to be disappointed. I'm guaranteed to feel failed. Any party or any person is not our hero or our savior. Don't place your faith there. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, which means vote. Be active. Those are the things that we do in our form of government. Do those things, but give to God what is God's, like you and your allegiance and your faith. That makes some sense? So let's not misplace our faith into the empire, but let's also not misplace our faith into our own ability. 
Any of you ever do that? You're like, oh, I believe in Jesus and me. I got this. Don't do it. If there ever was one who could, at least in Paul's day, it was Paul. Here's what, here's what he said. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, everything that makes you a good Jew, I've done it. I am it. I was born into it. I've stayed into it. I've been passionate about it. I am it. If there's anyone who should have confidence, it's me. If there's anybody who should place their faith in myself, it's me. That's what Paul is saying here. And some of us feel like we can do this. Some of us feel like with with God's power and my grit, I can do this. Some of us feel like if we put more faith in ourselves, we can do this. Now, let, let me be clear. I'm not talking about thinking of yourself as worthless. I think we need to work on seeing ourselves as image bearers. I think we need to learn to see ourselves and view ourselves the way that God views us. I'm saying don't put your faith there. Put your identity there, but not your faith. Those are separate things. Put your identity in who God says that you are, but don't anchor your faith there. It's misplaced then. You see, some of us feel like we can do it, but some of us feel like we have to. Like we owe that to God. Like we owe it to him to to say, okay, You have done so much on my behalf that I have to put my faith in me to make up for it. And let me tell you, I've spent the last probably 10 years reading the Bible several times through, reading scholars and mystics and poets and preachers and every word that we have recorded of Jesus. And let me tell you that no one has ever said that you have to do this on your own. No one has ever said that you need to anchor the faith to your own ability. Nobody has said that. Maybe we pick that up in the air. Maybe we pick that up from our uncle. Whatever that is, it's not in the text. So this idea that you have to have faith in yourself and then you fail yourself and you fail the kingdom of God, no. You have to find your identity in who God says that you are and then have faith in him, in him alone. That's what this is. No one has said that you need to do this, but let me tell you this. You have nothing to prove. And especially in this church, if there's something that I can tell you today, it's this. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to make up for. You have nothing to pay back. God's done all of that. You don't have to repay. You don't have to try to outwork, outsmart get everything right. No, like, let's stop. That's exhausting. It's exhausting, and God's not asking you to do it. Do the hard work of finding your identity in him. Do the hard work of learning to see yourself and the person next to you as God does. Do the hard work of teasing out and giving Caesar what is Caesar's and giving God, what is God's? But this faith stuff, you don't, you don't have to anchor to yourself here. 
Paul goes on and talks about what it looks like when we're invited to live into this grounded faith, where our faith is grounded into Christ alone. He says, yet whatever gains I had, this is the very next passage after he describes how, how good he is. And any gains that I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I gain them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's a lot of words. Write this down. Write down Philippians 3, read 4 through 10. Read through this this week. Let it be a part of your devotion. Here, here's what I want to say in this. Paul had some things he could have anchored his faith to. He said they're all, they're all rubbish next to Christ. He had some things that would have held for a minute, that would have impressed people for a second, that would have worked for, for a couple minutes, and, and yet he, he says it, it doesn't matter. My faith is grounded in Christ, in Christ alone. I am God's and God's alone. Wherever his ship goes, I go. And if he died, well, I die with him. But he has risen, and so now I rise with him. And that's my story because that's his story, and his faith is there. Now, here's one of the weird things about it. I started by telling you about my dog, Bozo, right? The world will look at you as if you're living like Bozo. They'll see you going up to everybody, loving on everybody, overcoming everything that you go through. And they'll be like, what a bozo. But your faith is grounded in him. It's completely other. Paul says at another point that, that the gospel is foolishness to those that this world says is wise, right? This is the foolishness that we're talking about. That we would live as people where we're not trying to impress God, we're not trying to appease him, we're not trying to pay him off, we're not trying to do any of that, but we're living by faith. And we're not living by faith in, in just the world or in the empire or in ourselves. but we're living by faith in him, in him alone. And that's it. And so when it comes to like tomorrow morning and you have decisions to make, you decide, okay, I want to only live by faith. What does that require? And I want to live by faith in Christ alone. And what does that require? And this starts to shape our, our decisions. This starts to shape the way that we walk through our day. This starts to shape our freedom. We're, we're freed from doing all these other things. We're freed from the work of trying to appease all these other places. And we're freed as people who live by faith alone, in Christ alone, period. But to get to that point, some of us have some work to do. 
Some of us have some stuff to shed. Some of us have some wounds that need to be healed. Some of us have some new habits to start to form. But there's no time like right now. And so we're going to have a couple people who are willing to pray with you. And here's specifically what I want to invite you to, to come in and pray with people about. If, if you're deciding, hey, today's the day. I want to have faith in Christ alone. I've never done this before. I don't even know how to do it. Pray with somebody. If you're somebody who's struggled and been eaten up and spit out by life because you've just trusted the world or because you've trusted God and, and it feels similar, but you're hurting and you need some healing, you're feeling wounded and beat up, invite you to come and, and pray with somebody. If you've trusted the empire, you've trusted yourself, you've trusted your job, you've trusted your family, you've placed your faith somewhere else and you're realizing that that's misplaced faith, maybe you need to declare to somebody, hey, I, I, I was kind of half anchored to Jesus and half anchored to something else and it's time for me to like be Christ alone here, then, then come and declare that to somebody. There's power when we say it aloud to our sister or our brother. That's why I want to invite you to pray. We've got Aaron and Stephanie in the back. We've got Kat and Mel in the front. They'd love to pray with you. I want to invite you to stand to, to your feet and I want to pray over us. Because here's the thing, if we live as people who have faith alone and Christ alone, we live as dangerous people. Because we're following a dangerous Christ who can look at anything else and say, no, you take what's yours, I'll take what's God's. And we know that every, every person who walks this earth is made as an image bearer, and so we wait for our Father to call them home. So let's pray together here. God, I pray that you would give courage to this room. We have placed our faith in a hundred different things. And our intelligence and our drive and our grit and our current government or our future government. Lord, we repent of that. And we ask that you'd give us courage to put our faith in you and in you alone. We ask that you would allow us to live by faith alone and be a people who have faith in Christ alone and inherit what it is that you have. And so would you lead people? Would you lead us? To have the courage to declare that and the willingness to day by day by day make decisions accordingly. Pray this in your name. Amen. Please, if you'd like prayer, this is the time. We're going to sing together, but, but don't wait if, it, if you're needing someone to pray with.
All right, all right, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for that message. But before we go, we got one last thing to do, and then we'll dismiss you, and we'll go upstairs and celebrate. Um, next week, we've got a team who is leaving, and they are headed to Ethiopia uh, for a missions trip. And so, uh, if you don't mind, before we go, we want to cover them and pray for them. So, for those who are headed to Ethiopia, can y'all come on up forward? Let us, let us pray for you. standing in a gap. She wants to make it clear. She's she's standing in the gap. She came last minute. I'm going now. No, joking, joking. All right, church family, do me a favor. Why don't you extend your hand towards this group here? Let us pray. God, we thank you because you're faithful and you're good. And we're so grateful, Lord, for these willing souls who are going to cross the great pond so that they can go to be witnesses, Lord, of your goodness, Lord, to those who suffer, those who would love to be in need here, but they're still suffering even where they are. And so, God, first off, we just pray for your traveling mercies, Lord, that you get them to their destination safely, but also, Holy Spirit, we pray that you empower them to give them a connection beyond what they even know they have the ability to do to love the way that you taught us unconditionally. Love, Lord, that can cross cultures. Love that can pierce boundaries of culture and language and difference. Love, Lord, that can heal in some of the spaces that we never imagined. And I pray, Lord, that they have an encounter, a life-changing encounter, not only with the women that they will be engaging over there, Lord, but I pray that while they're there, they'll know you more. That even for those who are going to serve God, that they will themselves be witnesses even still of your goodness. Lord, let them not go only to be the givers, but let them go as receivers. To learn from the sisters of Ethiopia about what diligence and hard work and perseverance is. So that they can learn more about you and experience you in ways that they have never imagined. And I pray God that both them and those that they go to meet, Lord, will all be changed. And when they depart from that place, Lord, those who remain and those who will come back here will know the power of your love that we just heard about. Lord, that comes only by you, that it will transform both that nation and transform this community for the better. God move, we pray. We pray that they go and that they're well, but you also bring them back to us safely. And thank you, Lord, for their willing hearts again. We love you, Lord, and we give you thanks. Come on, everybody, with a loud shout. Let's say amen. 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 God bless you guys. Awesome, awesome. Real quickly, receive this benediction, and then let us go and celebrate. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine, according to the power that is at work with us, to God be the glory in the church forever and forever. Let every heart say amen. 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 Don't forget next week, bring your items. Let's go upstairs and celebrate.